Hi, I'm Justin Hayat, and this is 36. The Lamed Vav Siddiquim is a tale built on the idea that out there in the universe, somewhere in the far corners of the world, there are 36 anonymous, really good people who hide in the shadows but step forward when we need them most. In 2020, somehow, I managed to get on a plane to Israel to find out more about these secret souls and hear their stories. This is my journey to find wonder and goodness in our once magical world. For those of you who know me, you know I lost someone very special in June 2020. His name was Ilya Salita of Blessed Memory. He was one of the most exceptional people I'll ever meet. Born in the former Soviet Union and a proud graduate of Moscow State University, Ilya immigrated to the United States and started his career in academia. Life, fate, and chance met when he pivoted his career to Jewish communal life, first as North American director and then CEO of Genesis Philanthropy Group, one of the Jewish world's most prominent foundations. He was a man with a profound sense of history, of Jewish history, of responsibility and Jewish values. He was a mensch, a victor of history, a man with a moral compass so nuanced and so profound that naturally, as a young 20-something in New York, I always looked to him, always. He was someone I trusted completely, with my hopes, with my shortcomings, with friendship. Sadly, Ilya's life was tragically cut short in June 2020. There's a certain stillness which comes with such a death. How do we move forward? How do we honor them? What would they want? If we could have just one last conversation, what would I ask? What would he say? The list goes on, and time does too. I'm not the only one who faced these questions and coped with this pain when Elia left us. Thousands of us have. He had many, many friends. He had many colleagues. And he had many, many, many people who loved him. Natan Sharansky was a dear friend of Elia's and someone who Elia respected immensely, both professionally and personally, as a beneficiary of the movement Natan so triumphantly led. I found it only fitting when I was in Jerusalem to sit down with Natan, this time to speak about the friend we both lost, the visionary we both worked with, and the lessons and memories he left with both of us. This is my conversation with Natan Sharansky about our mutual friend, the amazing Ilya Salita of Blessed Memory. Hello, it is morning here. We are drinking Turkish coffee. I'm sitting across from Natan Sharansky. Natan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for giving this opportunity. Welcome to Jerusalem. Thank you. It wouldn't be a, a meeting in the Jewish agency without some coffee. You drink coffee or green tea? In the office, I drink co- coffee at home in our tea room, sitting on the carpets we are drinking. Very nice. So I want to talk about someone very close who was very close to both of us, Ilya Salita, blessed memory. He was the former president and CEO of Genesis Philanthropy Group. He was my former boss, teacher, and just the constant voice of uh, sanity in my life and in my head, both personally and professionally. Can you tell me about, like, how did you guys meet? Or what was that first interaction like? Well, it's still very difficult for me to accept that Ilya is not with us. It's, it's very strange. 
because those years that they did know him, and they got to know him when he got his position in Genesis. And in the beginning, I thought that it's really a strange choice because the heart of the struggle for Jewish identity is in Israel because he is too young to know unique experience of the struggle for Soviet Jewry, which, of course, is the base of this mutual platform among American Jewry, Russian Jewry, and Israel. And uh, he is too young to run such a big project. That was my, like... <laughs> First impre- uh, thought, even not impression. It wasn't. Thought. Why they hire some guy from New Jersey? Uh, well, and <laughs> Jerusalem. I'm, it was already a couple of years that I heard about the initiative. I am working very hard to encourage American Jews to put money in these projects. But I never thought, well, not that I never thought, but uh, it was too far from from the daily challenges of the philanthropists in Russia, and they, they were interested in something much more specific. They could think about helping to Aliyah, or they could think about helping to some institutions in Israel or in, uh, in America or everywhere. They, there is a big philanthropy. But that they create foundation to strengthen Jewish identity of Russian-speaking people, that was in the beginning, and are ready to support existing projects and to create a new ones. And they're coming to me and saying, we want you to be, be advisor because you're working on this. And I was very pleasantly surprised. And really, very quickly, it became clear that Genesis thinks big. They think about Jew in New York, Jew in Miami, Jew in Moscow, Jew in Kiev, and Jew in Israel. And they accept that the different groups have different challenges for the same purpose. But at the same time, they are one family, and that's exactly what we have to give this feeling to everyone. And so that's why I was really very glad to consult on the existing projects, on, on what is lacking, what is my attitude to their new ideas. And mainly it was all people who had, uh, those who were involved, who had experienced these projects for the last 10, 15 years. And then came Ilya. And I was a little bit perplexed, but okay, let's talk. (laughs) And then very quickly, very quickly, you see, first of all, a lot of energy. And it's good to have a person who's much younger than most of the leaders of the big foundations and the big institutions and so on. A lot of idealism, all the time keeping big picture uh, in the mind. And at the same time, having a lot of energy of going to the, not only about project itself, but it's practical details. And as if he understands that there are people all over the world who are dealing with these projects, but as if he has to have his own touch in all these places. I remember in the last only the last year of his life, I started remembering uh, the year before Corona, in how many different parts of the world I saw him. Uh, <laughs> in, in Russia, in Ukraine, in, of course, in America, in different places, in Spain, in London, and, of course, in Israel, in different places. Only at the uh, Orient. Uh, uh, <laughs> the Orient. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, he had to be personally present, personally involved. And wherever he was speaking, he was so easily naturally moving from the challenge for Russian Jew in St. Petersburg, and for the challenge for the Russian Jew who came five years ago to America, 
and for the challenge de- dealing about integration between the American Jewish community and the Russian Jews and the challenge of Israel and centrality of Israel. And all this together, and it was so organic in his head and in his projects. And he spoke on stop, but he also acted on stop. And uh, it was a really very nice to see that this young generation, with my generation, the, the generation treats history with such respect and at the same time takes these conclusions or analysis to the new places and uh, reaches the young generation, which I already directly cannot reach. And also in our landscape of Jewish organizations and what we call professional Jewish leaders, he was one of the youngest, but at the same time, one of the most wise, the most knowledgeable. So it was really a pleasure to deal with him. And last time I was speaking, as it happened two weeks before he passed away, and he was not a hint. By chance, in the end, he mentioned that, well, he has some uh, health problems, but it will be okay. But we had a two hours conversation about different projects, and he was very business-oriented, and he was saying what they'll have to decide on the special meeting in two weeks from now and in, and in a month from now. And I had no idea that in two weeks he will not be with us. And uh, you couldn't even feel it. Uh, he, well, he said he's a little, little bit weak now, but uh, well, it's corona, he's in some isolation. But, uh, well, uh, it was quite a shock. Yeah, something I think uh, that I've heard a lot is people would say he would walk into the room thinking, you know, foundations, organizations, machers, everyone in between. And he would act as if he was not the smartest in the room. But everyone in the room knew he was probably the smartest. (laughs) And it was that modesty that drove him, but also that I think drove people to him. Yes, and uh, I have to say, don't know that he had all the necessary knowledge about practical situations, what is possible and what is not possible, and what will work and what will not work. But also, when he was dealing with the history, and he, of course he had to deal a lot with the struggle for Soviet Jewry and its role of American Jewry in the struggle and Israel and so on, he was showing the understanding of the participant. In fact, I, over the years, I have more, more and more difficulty to, to explain people the, really the atmosphere of this time, the real choices, the real disagreements which were between different groups and Israel Soviet Jewish activists and American Jewish organizations. Well, because uh, their life is so different. It is uh, very difficult to understand the challenges of that moment. On the other hand, the moment you understand them, you understand how it is connected to today or the challenges today you understand better. For him, it was as so natural as if he was one of us fighting then, and now he's one of those young who are living in America and facing the challenges of today. So it was very, very good, very comfortable, very interesting to work with the person who is connecting not only different organizations and different projects, but different times. Yeah. And I think many leaders, they walk into work and they talk about these very big challenges and then they come home and they say, oh, but not my kids, right? My kids are are immune from the culture of America in 2020 or 2021. Our first interaction was him talking about his sons. I was working at the UN. You meet a lot of machers. You take them into the UN, meet the ambassador. Step and repeat. He was talking about Josh and Robert, his sons. First of all, I think this summarized him so well, right? That that's the first thing he said to me, you know, and spoke to me about. Also, it was an easy connection because I think I am two years older than Josh. 
you know, he would always talk about, uh, you know, the political, cultural leanings that both of them have and how that fits into their Russian identity, their Jewish identity. You know, when I would be in his office working and Robert would call from college, he would say, you're going to Hillel tonight or Chabad. And then, you know, he really put himself and his life at the center, but he also allowed those experiences that he had with his kids that he knew were not so unique, which were, uh, I mean, they were unique in, in, in many ways, but in, ter- in terms of Jewish engagement, were very emblematic of all the pew trends and everything. There was uh, no, uh, but not my kids. And I think the whole everyone but me is kind of a big trend, I think, in American life, you know, American Jewish life as well. I, I laugh because a lot of my colleagues, whether it's Marina Yukborovsky or Natasha or even Ilya's wife, I say, I feel like I'm a schizophrenic because I am hearing him in my head very often. To me, he is like the moderate tone of realism matched with ambition and calmness. And I'm not calm. Do you have you thought of him, heard him? I mean, uh, well, or should uh, I see a doctor? <laughs> No, no, well, look, I didn't know his sons, though I think I saw them once or twice, but but uh, it was clear that his family is very much part of his life. Well, I, I don't think even he was crossing the line between the family and the projects. He lived this life of Jewish family. He was working very hard to make Jews of the world feel that they are one family. And one family begins from your family. And so for him, for him it was very natural. I was not present at his conversation with his sons, but I suspect that they were very similar to the conversation which he had with other young people of that generation practically every day. Yeah, for sure. I was born in 1994. Where were you in 1994? I was already in Israel. In uh, in 94, we just started creating our Israeli Baliyah party for Russian immigrants. Oh, wow. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, So you didn't have a chance to vote for us. (laughs) You were just born. I don't know really the world that Ilya came from, you know, in the Soviet Union. I can't comprehend it. I can act like it. I can read it. I could read uh, your great book with Gil Troy, and I could try to fathom it, but I, I really can't. And then a month or so after he passed, there was a piece in Tablet about Ilya and and someone wrote it about him. And there was a picture of him from the Soviet Union. And it's a black and white photo. And it's that same face, much younger, a little slimmer too. And it was like they were in a field or something. And it just looked so different from the American reality that I met him in. It just struck me and I was speechless and I'm often not speechless I don't want to be like melodramatic and say, oh, Natan, when you were in the gulag, did you think about the future? And oh, Ilya, whatever. But what is the perspective of someone who who fought to be a Jew, who fought to be a Zionist, who fought to be a Russian-speaking Jew in the world at large, in Russia, or in Soviet former Soviet Union, and, and then in Israel? And then you meet this guy that immigrated from Russia to America, lived the American dream as a proud Russian Jew in America, and rose to prominence. Like, what is that experience like when you meet someone from that younger generation that was able to enjoy the seeds that many activists, including yourselves, planted for them? Whenever I meet somebody who, he or she or they, who succeeded in their life in the free world, but who came, even as small kids from this former Soviet Union, I always have very good, warm uh, feeling of our victory. I like to go back to to Russia, not only because I had a lot of activities there as a minister and then as a head of Jewish agency, but also because it always reminds me about that huge victory which we had. 
destroying Iron Curtain and uh, millions of Jews coming out. But I have to say, in most of the cases, when you're meeting with the young people and you're telling them, or you're not so young people, and you're telling about your experience of the Soviet Union, they remember something, but it is very difficult for them to connect to that reality. And as a result, sometimes the lessons, very important lessons of the importance of our sticking to our identity, of our connecting between our desire to see the world a better place and our desire to get the strength from our family, somehow ignored. What was interesting about Ilya, that as I said, as if he was old enough and experienced to live through all the experience of the Soviet Union with all the challenges, and at the same time, he is young enough to enjoy fully the life of successful American professional Jew, speaking as equal and sometimes as the one who has clear advantages over those American Jewish professionals who lived here for the last four generations. Yeah, in such security and yeah, yeah. predictability. Yeah. and Yeah. I have this image of him, you know, he drove into the city, he would take the calls and then get into the city and he had a little like a suitcase he would carry or, or roll and sunglasses. He liked sunglasses. Maybe it's a Russian thing. I don't know. Or just a human thing. And I always thought, wow, this guy actually thinks that he's just a normal person commuting from New Jersey to New York. Like he really thought he was normal. But really, when you look at his life and you look at what he did with it, with weaving the Russian Jewish experience throughout the entirety of the global Jewish experience, and that he did it in such a subtle, magnificent, but impactful way, he was really commuting through Jewish history, not from New Jersey to, to New York. Well, I can tell you that because it's extremely important to have a big picture and to live a big picture in your life. But you can be succeeding only if that is, becomes the part of your everyday life. If you're thinking all the time big, and uh, am I doing things big enough for worth doing them today or tomorrow, so you'll become crazy. But if you are really enjoying your daily life, and this big picture becomes part of your daily life, you don't, don't even notice that you're living some big issues. You're simply you're enjoying them, you're working with them, but at the same time, of course, uh, the growing of your children and uh, what you as the father have to say or taking your wife not to forget today to the restaurant in order to, to overcome some frictions. Which have been, all this has to be in one piece. If you start separating this daily life and big picture by which you live, well, you will fail. So I think for Ilya, as I said, I always was really amazed how naturally he was connecting very different worlds of those who stayed in Russia, those who already second generation live in America, and us Israelis, how naturally he was crossing all this. But I have to say, it all was part of his family world. Yeah, it's amazing. One last question about Ilya. What, I like have Googled this and people have tried to explain it, but I'm not Russian. What does his name mean? Ilya? Yeah. It was a very Jewish name. Let's say, when families wanted to give some Jewish name, but at the same time, something which will not sound too Jewish, like Israel, for example. Yeah. Then Ilya is the biblical name, but for, it's at the same time the name of some Russian heroes. Ilya, it means praising the gods. 
you know, like uh, hallelujah. You know what's hallelujah? Ah, like hallelujah. So, uh, yeah, well, it's different, but it <laughs> comes from the same uh, roots, from the same roots. So, yes, it, uh, that name both was adopted by Russians in their history, like Shimshon in our history or our religion, their Shimshon was called Ilya Muramitz. But at the same time, it's very, very Jewish name and and original Jewish name. And so I think somebody whose family was assimilated, was uh, part of Russian society, but at the same time wanted to keep its Jewish roots, it's quite a good name to, to be Ilya. Amazing. So it's kind of uh, a little bit of both. Yeah, yeah. It's very Jewish, but it's uh, at the same time already accepted by Russian society as their name. I'll tell you a funny example, but uh, another thing I mentioned in the book, that our best teacher of physics, best probably in the city, not only in our school, was Israel Yakovlevich. And then there was Six-Day War, and the head of the school called him and said, we can't accept that in Soviet school there'll be somebody with the name Israel. And you have to change it. And it was such a humiliation for him. And uh, and I really was very critical of him that he did it. But he was the most interesting and the most important teacher of physics for the young generation. So he chose the name Ilya. And he came to set it. But you see, it's still a, a Jewish <laughs> name. I said, yeah, it's very Jewish. <laughs> that was his compromise with the Soviet Union. Yeah. Wow. He was, he was not Israel anymore, but he was Eliad, and he continued being the best teacher. So you had a teacher named Ilya, and I had a teacher named Ilya, although mine did not teach me physics, because that would have ended within two minutes. He would have said, you're a great guy, but I can't do this. <laughs> May his memory be a blessing uh, as it was to everyone who knew him and everyone that can learn from him. And God willing, one day there's a big book about this man's life because I think he's touched hundreds of thousands of people's lives through his work. And we all have to continue with that mission, which was so important for him. For sure. I left the conversation with Natan, hearing Ilya chuckle in my head. Two meetings with Natan Sharansky in one week. Not bad for a guy from Baltimore. There was nothing like laughing with Ilya. For a serious intellect, he had an incredible sense of humor. I think that's how we bonded and grew to trust one another. Anyway, I wanted to honor him through this podcast by telling nuanced stories and showcasing complicated personalities that could only happen here in this magical country he loved so much. The evening of my conversation with Natan, I went to one of Ilya's favorite spots, the rooftop bar at the Orient Hotel. I watched the sun set over Jerusalem, staring at the stillness of the city's stones. I thought and reflected about how a Jewish immigrant from the Soviet Union rose to incredible heights in life, in his career, in his community, in building a family, in building a legacy, and in building Israel. I ordered a margarita in his honor, though he was not a drinker at all. I cheers to him alone and shed a tear or two. The sun had set and the old city's lights were shining. Not so still anymore. There's nothing like this feel. I took it all in and thought of my dear teacher. 
I went to pay the bill. The cost? 36 shekels. After all, he did have a killer sense of humor. Thanks for joining me on 36. This podcast is hosted by me, Justin Hayat. Our managing producer is Sarah Shemla. Our executive producer is Attila Samfalvi. And our editor is Robert Scarmuccia. This is a production of Soul Shop and sponsored by B'nai Zain. Please rate and review this podcast in your podcast app of choice and share it with your friends, your butcher, and your shadchan. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again soon. 